You're listening to the Prof. Joe COVID-19 Aged Care Podcast. If you're an aged care professional, you can connect with us at the Prof. Joe COVID-19 Aged Care Facebook group. Otherwise, you can connect with us at our regular page at Prof. Joe Online. You can also visit our website at profjoe.com.au for a collection of all our links. Also, feel free to email us at info at profjoe.com.au. Welcome. Welcome to the Prof. Joe podcast. I'm Prateek Bando. With me today, I have Professor Joe Ibrahim. Hi, Prateek. I also have Marie Crosland, the CEO of Napier Street Aged Care in Victoria, which is a community-owned facility with 62 beds in South Melbourne, which employs about 90 staff. Hi, Prateek. And we also have Mr. Jeremy Lee, social advocate. Uh, Hi, Prateek. So great. Good to have you all here. So that was a pretty compelling summary of the discussion we've been having, and it'll be great to start teasing some of these issues out. If we could turn first, perhaps, to the current measures the government has put in place. Prof, I might go to you first there. I guess, you know, we're we're, we're debating a question of a complete lockdown, but the lockdown the government has already put in place, what do you think about the parameters of that lockdown? Compared to what we'd normally expect to happen, the lockdown seems pretty harsh as it stands. What we're advocating is for something that's more absolute. On the 18th of March, the National Cabinet for COVID agreed to strategies to enhance protection for older people, and that included limiting the number of staff and visitors. And there were specific requirements to isolate or protect the the residents from people that had been overseas or other high-risk categories. And it, it seemed on face that restricting the number of visitors to two people at a time for a short time, uh, a couple of times a week would be enough. But having done the background work on COVID and understanding that it's not like anything we've ever seen and that the highest risk and mortality occurs in the over 80s, that we need something far more extreme than what's been put in place. Okay. Um, and Marie, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the current kind of restrictions that the government's put in place? I also agree. I think that the restrictions could be harsher. I think we probably have to look facility by facility on what that looks like for everyone. But I think we also have to look at the the ability of the facility to manage monitoring visitors, how long they're there. It's a time when we haven't got the extra resources that we need to be able to do that. And I think we're increasing the risk of bringing extra people in. Right. So the, so the practicalities of enforcing those restrictions is going to be difficult. Yes, the, the practicalities would be very difficult. And it's a time when, as a society, we're being told to go to work and stay home. Our residents are in their home and we're being told not to have visitors in our homes, but it's okay for visitors to come into an aged care home. It, it doesn't seem to make too much sense. Sure, makes sense. Jeremy, um, as, as a member of the public um, who visits people in hospitals and in aged care facilities, um, what are your thoughts on the limitations that the government's put forward? Well, everyone's paranoid out there as a first point. So people that I know are working from home, but people in aged care facilities and, and some of my family members, they're kind of stuck you know, it's a lot harder, especially when you need someone to be there. So this is all kind of unprecedented and there's a lot of unsurety that's going around. 
what the government's putting out, what we're reading from what's happening in places like Spain. So, yeah, it's kind of not sure what to do, just generally speaking, but especially with family members in homes as well. So Yeah, I guess in, in that setting to turn up to a home and then be told that, sorry, someone's already been there, so you don't get to go today. That's a pretty shocking kind of situation to be in. Never yeah. happened before. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, so just the feeling of unease, I think, is is um, is there. So um, I'm going to go now to some of the specific parameters. So the first thing is visits are limited to a short duration. Uh, Marie, what have you interpreted that to mean? What is a short duration? I initially interpreted a short duration to mean 15 minutes and Napier Street had decided that we were actually going to go a little bit of middle ground and allow one visitor for a short duration. But then we took the decision to move to a full lockdown for no visitors following a risk assessment because of local occurrences. So a local school was closed down. There'd been some cases that were in the media from that had been around the South Melbourne market. So we knew the virus was quite active in our local community and we felt that was the best way to protect our residents. Before we actually made that decision, we'd actually been contacted by two relatives who had both asked us to put the facility into lockdown. So we felt that we were making a supported decision. That raises several interesting questions we now have for you, <laughs> but um, uh, and we'll come to you in a second. But in terms of the, the government restrictions, uh, 15 minutes, how, how was that going? I mean, were you finding that hard to enforce or how were you enforcing it? Did you have someone with a stopwatch? Well, that, was, uh, that had only come out for one day before we changed our decision to be the total lockdown. So we had come up with some ways that we would enforce that, but it was going to take a lot of staff and time to to monitor those visitors coming in and out, monitor their times, do their temperature checking and all the other things that we were doing. And that just takes away from direct resident care. So, But we were going to do it until we did that risk assessment and made the determination, especially following those two requests from the relatives to go into the lockdown. Right. Um, I noticed you mentioned that there was an interim measure where you went to where you went to one uh, visitor at a time, which is similar to what we hear Bupa is doing. How did you kind of come to that conclusion? What what drove you to that decision? We thought that it may be just easier to manage than the two visitors, and we felt there was a bit of lack of clarity about was it two visitors from family or was the two visitors including a doctor's visit or a physio visit, and so. That's why we were thinking that one member of the family could come in and then another member the next day, if that's how they chose amongst their family to do that. But yeah, we barely got chance to enact that before the two letters had come through asking us to switch over to no visitors. And we'd also at the same time heard some of the larger groups had done that as well. So yeah, we felt that we were justified in doing that and have had no complaints from any families at all. In fact, only letters of praise for what we're doing. But we probably have upped our say, social media, our direct contact with families a lot more and done a lot more things for families to keep in touch with their relatives through Skype and FaceTime and, and emails and things like that. Yeah, we're going to come back to all of that because that's, I think, a big part of this whole podcast. Just on that question, Prof, do you have any further information? Because I'm just looking at what Marie's talking about. 
Visits will be limited to a maximum of two visitors at a time. These may be immediate social supports, which includes family members, close friends, or professional service or advocacy. So does that count a doctor who happens to stroll in and to do a health check in the middle of the day? Uh, I mean, does that mean family would be turned away? Do you have any further guidance on that? I personally had taken it to mean um, the person's family and friends because in my mind, a visit by a doctor is not a visit. It's not not a pleasurable activity for the resident. It's a matter of necessity. So I hadn't considered that that visit would be counted within that framework. I guess moving now to the the question of where these visits are taking place. Um, The guidance from the government is that visits should be conducted in a resident's room, outdoors, or in a specific area designated by the facility rather than communal areas where the risk of transmission to residents is greater. What, what's been your experience with that, Marie? So we've actually, we have had some experience with outdoors because we have a, a lovely garden area. So whilst we've been in complete lockdown, our front fence actually faces onto the street. So we've actually had some family have come and position themselves on the footpath at a, a socially acceptable distance. And we've positioned the resident probably double that distance inside the gate and seated. And they've been able to have a good conversation for probably 10 or 15 minutes, which, so that's been really good. And we've also allowed some families to bring pets along and they've been near our glass doors where residents have been able to have a look and wave and, and do that sort of interaction. Mm. I love I love this thing of it bringing up uh, on the footpath or behind the glass. Like it kind of brings up all these things I've been seeing on on Facebook of creative ways of people dealing with a lockdown at home, you know, or or visiting someone in a lockdown. You, yeah, you're moving into some sort of like fun way. Like you know, I've got kids. Like they're, they're trying to do like these Skype calls with their friends while they're watching TV or playing games. Or um, yeah, I love seeing your pet or your dog behind the glass. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that sort of thing's manageable. The design of our facility means that if we were to allow visitors in, they actually could be tracking through the whole facility to get, whilst residents are in individual rooms, they could be going through the whole facility to get to that room. And it's very difficult to monitor what what anyone is touching, apart from all the the um, protective equipment that they have to have on that is in such short supply at the moment that yeah, I, I don't know that we would be using it responsibly. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that either. The the idea of do you have to escort a person into the resident room and escort somebody out? Because how do you know what's happening in between? Well, you you would have to. I mean, because you can't allow them to stop and and chat to anyone else along the way, and they've got to keep their social distance. You essentially have to disinfect any area that they would touch, and you have to supply them with masks and things. Um, just uh, I noticed a couple of things you said with the visiting. Um, you said that you were checking temperatures of visitors and that, and also, if I understood you correctly, you're, you're putting them in masks. Was that right? I mean, I know you're not doing it now anyway. So we're actually temperature checking all our staff when they come in and we're actually doing that for uh, physios and doctors as well are going through that process. Um, we've had to have a couple of visitors that have been for essential contract works. We've been doing the same with them. So had we have been having visitors, we would have been doing the same. But any visitors that are coming directly to see a resident 
under the guidelines it says that they will have a mask. So that's a requirement on the actual guidelines. That, that's my understanding of the guidelines. Yeah, I think that's very good. I'm just reading if the actual precaution is on the actual guideline. It says standard precautions for preventing infection are always used in care settings and must be used in aged care facilities when providing health care or personal care. Standard precautions include hand hygiene before and after every episode of residential contact, using appropriate PPE, which is personal protective equipment, including gloves, gown, appropriate mask and eye protection, depending on the anticipated exposure, ensuring good sneeze, cough etiquette, and regularly cleaning the environment and, and equipment. So I'm not sure if the guidelines themselves, whether they would require someone who's hosting visits to put every visitor in, in, in a mask. It also is something, I guess, that's a bit unclear. Um, you would have to go to the guidelines. Um, I guess moving, moving along to the next section, uh, assuming that we are going to do a complete lockdown, which, which you already have done, Marie, um, and which Prof is advocating for, what does that look like in real life? What, 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 how, how would you describe what you're doing? Um, I would describe at the moment, I wouldn't describe it as a complete lockdown because the residents aren't isolated in their rooms. So the residents are essentially allowed to continue their normal daily activities. We, we are encouraging social distancing, but that's not quite as easy as, as it seems, but we're encouraging that and trying to set up separate group activities so people are spread out within within groups, but keeping life as normal as possible. I think that keeping our residents informed and, and so they all know the reason why they can't come in. They've all seen the news. They know that everyone's isolating in their homes. So they're feeling a little bit like you know, they're doing the same as everyone else in their own home. So the residents that can are telling me they're feeling fine. They think they're doing their part to contain the virus. And they also know that there's actually very little for them to go out for because places that they previously would have gone to the, the coffee shop or out for lunch or out somewhere else are actually closed. So... Marie, what would a hard lockdown be, like a harder lockdown than, than, than you're currently doing now? What would that look like? Oh, I think a, a harder lockdown for us would be if one or more of our residents had the virus um, and then we would have to isolate residents all to their individual rooms, which would become very hard because it would be a very prolonged period of time. Probably something that that we have dealt with before when we've had influenza in the past and things like that. But the period of lockdown for those residents, because it's a 14-day period at least, would be so much longer than in a previous influenza or norovirus or something outbreak. Prof, can you add any comments on um, what, what do you think in terms of the, the practical difficulties of a, of a lockdown? I think Marie's highlighted uh, the realities and the, the challenge of moving from something that's on paper to how, how you need to live it. And I, I think the residents, from what Marie says, feel like they're contributing to a, a national or global effort in doing their part. And one of the important things when you're older or, or at any time in life, one of the things that we all want to do is to feel like we contribute, that we're doing something that, that has meaning. And I think this 
provides the residents an opportunity to contribute by staying put, by having to wear the sacrifice and commitment in the interest of their roommates, their the other residents, the staff there, um, their own children and family outside and the community as a whole. It, it's not something I'd thought of till Marie brought it up and the fact that the families have been advocating and the residents have accepted that notion gives me a sense that we're all in this together I can do something that has meaning rather than what often happens with residents in aged care is they often think that there is no purpose to life. This this perversely gives them a purpose. I'm going to move on now to um, the exceptions to the lockdown, okay, because um, the government has put forward that it's important to be compassionate towards individual cases and in particular palliative care, final days of life and dementia care. So I'm going to put that, I guess, to to you first, Marie. Um, what are you doing about those situations in terms of exceptions to a to a total lockdown? We have already made a, a decision that if we have any residents that are in final days of life, we will certainly facilitate the visitors coming in. We feel that that's very very important, and I think that luckily at the moment we actually haven't got anyone that is in those stages. But certainly if they have family close by who want to come in and be with them, uh, there's quite a few of our um, residents have family interstate. So that may not even be possible for those people to get here. But um, for the others that can, we would certainly facilitate it. And and when you are facilitating these things, um, what kind of steps are you going to take? How are you going to reduce the risk? I think to, to reduce the risk at that time, we would do the, the same checks. A visitor of a palliative resident had been exposed to COVID um, or had been overseas in and under those very high risk. We would probably talk to them about what risk that actually would mean to them and to other residents in the facility. And I think we probably wouldn't advise that. But in the event that they met all the guidelines and, and didn't fall into any of those categories, I think we would facilitate it with the, the use of the proper protective equipment and, again, the escorting to the residence room, escorting back out and supporting that person as best we could as well. And you mentioned palliative care and final days of life. What do you think about dementia care? Is that something that deserves an exception? Um, I, I think it probably is for some residents with dementia, but I don't think it is for all residents with dementia. So I think that would come down to individual cases. And if you had a case with a resident who definitely was calmed much more by having a family member with them, well, that may well be an aid to the staff. But again, we would have to make sure that that family member was also coming from a, a quite a safe environment that wasn't putting anyone else at risk as well. Fair enough. Prof, do you have any comments? I, I think we, we should recognise just how uh, emotionally and psychologically traumatic it is that uh, when people are dying and if you can't get to see them, and but I think Maurice highlighted that the people that live interstate that might have wanted to come down and, and if you've travelled a long way to, to see your loved one and then you're excluded at the door and that person dies... Often we find in palliative care that 
in those final stages of dying, people are, are honest and frank and try to resolve conflicts that might have gone on for years or a lifetime. So there's some really critical aspects to it uh, in facilitating that. And uh, I, I think this is this is a situation that we will all struggle with. We want to help people. We want to have the a death that is calm and as kind as we can be. And we've got the, the pressure and the tension about the virus and its risk to others beyond. And it's a situation we've never been in. So we should understand that we will struggle with it. I guess going to what you're saying, Prof, about balancing the risk to the nursing home where one person gets it, everyone can get it, which is unique to a nursing home. Balancing that risk really, I mean, if we are going to let people in, then doing it in a really supported, enforced way is the key to that risk-benefit balance. Because it's not so much just about entry, it's about making sure that the entry is as safe as possible. But that's, yeah, but as you mentioned, Prof, that's very, very difficult questions. So I guess maybe if I can put to you some situations now, because probably so far it's been easy for Marie because all of her residents are quite happy with the situation. And maybe some people are listening in going, it hasn't been so easy for me. So if I put some hypotheticals to you both, and if you tell me, how would you handle these exceptions? So, so the first one I'm going to say is, Let's take a patient who is delirious and sundowns at the same time every evening and she has a daughter who visits her every single day and calms her down and gives great comfort to that resident. Now, she's been doing that for years. Do we say to her she can't do that now? Well, I'd classify that visit not as a social visit but one as a therapeutic or care-related. I think we should do all that we can to help settle the person with the resources that we've got within the facility. That might involve calling the daughter and have her speak to her mother on the phone, using an iPad so she sees the image, having something familiar, be it a photo or a reassuring voice. The And if we try the things that we're able to do and they're not working, then I think it's reasonable to consider how to facilitate the person coming in to be with their loved one, you know, keep living their lives as, as normally as they can be. I think that when people give all of these exceptions, they're, they're treating it as if it should happen automatically without considering are there alternatives that we can use? Do those alternatives work? If they do, then we can remain in a strict lockdown. If they don't work, then we reconsider the situation and we change the decision and how we approach it. I can't help but think, Prof, when you're talking about that, about vigilance and how variable that is because, unfortunately, COVID-19 is an incredibly unforgiving virus. It's very contagious. It moves through facilities very quickly and it has a very high rate of putting people on respirators, which an elderly population are not going to be able to access in all likelihood. And you've got to weigh that against... Um, how simple taking off your glove and touching your loved one is as, as an act that you think it's completely harmless, but it actually ironically could cause a severe injury to, to the entire home. When we're talking about black and whites of are they, for example, a family member or do we consider them as a therapeutic person in the team or do they have the six-week course in personal care attendance 
would that qualify a family member to enter if they have hygiene training? I mean, at the end of the day, if the bug comes in and is, is transmitted to a person, it, it's going to be a lethal event for someone in the home. Uh, so I'd be interested in Marie, I, I just comments. The way I think about it is the the risk associated with a less than strict approach, something that's not absolute is we have the risk to the individual and that's the resident. We've got the risk to the staff. There's the risk to other residents and their own family. And the thing that also worries me is if your loved one dies and you visited them, will you forever think I brought in the virus with me? And how do I live with that? The major challenge for us is to try and understand the enormity of the situation. We don't have experience with it. It's just incredibly hard to conceptualise or to even think just how awful the thing is. So I think, Prateek, we could just reinforce that our, our approach is that this is not influenza. COVID, when we compare COVID to the flu, COVID kills at least 10 times to 25 times more people if they're infected. And COVID will infect at least two to four people from each person with an infection, whereas influenza will typically only infect one other person. So COVID infects more people and kills a hell of a lot more people than influenza. And we we fall back on the example of influenza to reassure ourselves. And that means we're just fooling ourselves doing that and we have to stop doing it. Uh, I guess, um, do you have anything to add to that, Marie? Or oh, One of the things, it's probably going back to an earlier question about two visitors. And I was actually recently visiting a family member who had an operation in a private hospital and they were actually allowing one visitor at a time and they're not elderly people in there. So I don't know why we're allowing more. It, it doesn't. The messages seem a, a little bit mixed up and coming from, I think the messages are quite clear, but but there seems to be just a few discrepancies that, that make them not tie up and then people maybe don't take it as seriously as what they should be. So we might wind this up here. Um, and just to summarise, um, we all think the following, that we should all go into a hard lockdown now. And Prof, um, if you could just summarise what that means. So that means being far stricter than the current government guidelines. That means that we don't have any visitors that just come and go. The visitors that come must have a, a reason that, that is essential or critical and we want to minimise those numbers as much as possible and we should only accept uh, an essential visitor after we've exhausted at least three or four different strategies that would address what that visitor would normally bring with them to their resident. And can I add that if someone does meet an exception like that because three strategies fulfil the need, then I think that we should treat it as the, the facility is now taking on a new duty of care to do everything it possibly can 
to be vigilant around that visit. And, and we mean personal protective equipment and, vis- and, and supervising that visitor from the entry point right till the exit point. So we spent this podcast talking about locking down hard. Now we're going to have to soften things up in the next podcast and talk about what some of those strategies can be. We've heard already from Marie about some of the things they're doing at Napier Street. And we want to have a bit of a discussion about what are some things we can all do to make this lockdown as humane as possible and to support both the residents and our visitors and the staff when they're unable to continue with visits um, during this time. Thanks again for joining, guys. Thanks very much, Prateek. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm Prateek Bando. Thanks for listening to the Prof Joe podcast. You're listening to the Prof Joe COVID-19 Aged Care Podcast.